The reading from Isaiah that we began with today is one that is very familiar to me in one particular context, because not only is it used on certain Sundays of the year, but also it is a reading that is typically read at ordinations. And at this point in my life and career, I'm not attending too many ordinations, but there was a time uh, when we were sort of all fresh out of seminary and being ordained here and there at different times that uh, I had, was attending quite a few. And so that particular reading stands out in my mind and reminds me not only of my own ordination, but of those of my friends. And it's also, also taken from that reading is a priestly prayer that I say to myself immediately before reading the gospel asking God to cleanse my heart and my lips as he cleansed the prophet Isaiah with a live coal, and that I might be worthy to proclaim his gospel. And so we, we are in these readings today are talking about a lot about calling. Um, so the reading from Isaiah is an obvious uh, reading for an ordination to the priesthood or to the diaconate or, or even as a bishop. But we're talking a lot broader than that today. We're talking about the calling that we have as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in that reading from Isaiah, we have this beautiful image of the heavenly hosts praising God. And we sang that magnificent hymn, The God of Abram Praise, which is one of my favorites and I think one of the most beautiful hymns in all of our hymnal, which also colors in and sets our imaginations free to to think about what that might look like, what heaven might look like, what God might be like, even though there's no way we could ever begin to imagine that. And in singing that hymn, I was, in my mind today, was taken to a dusty city in the Holy Land called Hebron, which I'm sure you've heard of, and uh, to a particular site. Now, it's a, it's a city that's very much divided. And you have the Jews on one side and the Muslims on the other side. And uh, it's caused a lot of, of difficulties, a lot of problems with local businesses, etc. But one of the curious things about this town, though, is that there is a great mosque and a great synagogue in the same building. So in this place where people are bitterly divided, they nevertheless come together in the same building. Now, mind you, it's, there's a partition wall, and you can't get from one side to the other. And we as Christians were able to go in to the Muslim side and into the Jewish side, but those two groups can't uh, visit each other's sites. And interestingly, when we went into uh, the Muslim side, um, we, had, we removed our shoes, and the women had to put uh, head coverings on. And then when we went to the Jewish side, the men had to put head coverings on. So just little interesting things that you know, we have to do uh, to be accommodating to one another. But the, the thing that is uh, about this particular uh, mosque slash uh, synagogue is that in the midst of it is the tomb of our father in faith, Abraham. So it was a really incredible sight. And from each side people can get a view of this great sarcophagus covered in green cloth, and they can see the tomb, but they can't see each other on either side. 
And it makes me think about uh, when we sing this hymn about the God of Abram praise who reigns enthroned above, how uh, God in the, in the three persons of the Trinity is, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but they are all of one substance. They're all one being. And so God, God himself is a lesson for us in unity. And so the problem, though, of course, is sin in this world. And sin is what divides us and separates us from one another and causes such strife in our world uh, as, we, as we could see there and as, as we can see uh, here in our own country as well. But be, because of this, maybe in spite of this, God continues to call us over and over again. And we can see in the Holy Scriptures how God set up covenant after covenant with his people and finally sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only son, to be one of us, for the creator to experience creation and to redeem us through his death and resurrection and through our baptism into that to become his sons and daughters. And so we have the story of Jesus standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And I felt like such a dummy when we were over there because, you know, reading the scriptures, you read about the lake of Gennesaret and the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee. Well, it's all the same thing. And I don't know why I never put that together. I'm a little bit ashamed to say after 10 years of ordination, I just sort of figured that out. And it's a, it's a, a, a big lake, really, um, bigger than Tuxedo Lake, but uh, not what I, we would call really a sea. Um, but it's, you know, big enough that boats can ply on it, and uh, there are fishermen even to this day, not as much as there were at one time. But so much happened in the story of salvation in the Christian narrative right around the shores of that lake that it's really incredible, and it's really sort of a, a place that is dense with history and spirituality. And so we can imagine when... Uh, we go there seeing Jesus standing on this lake. And they have little boats. They're, they're, they're aluminum boats now, and they're kind of clad in wood. And um, sometimes they have groups out praying. Sometimes they're party barges, and you can hear the disco music playing, uh, which sort of takes away from the, uh, the mystique of the Sea of Galilee. But hey, it is what it is. They have to make a living. Um, but these boats go out, and you have an opportunity when they turn the engines off, of course, Jesus didn't have an engine, uh, to just be there on the lake in the silence and imagine being there with Jesus. And how it was that these simple fishermen who were plying their trade were so moved by his words and his presence that they gave up everything they had, their livelihoods, any type of worldly security that they might have had, and they followed him. For in this story from Luke, Simon Peter is told by Jesus to go put out into the deep water and cast your nets one more time. And Simon says, well, we've been at this for hours and hours. Nothing has happened. In fact, when we were there, they, they threw a net out and tried to catch some fish, and there was nothing. But... Uh, so the same thing with, with Simon, uh, Simon Peter. He says, we're, we've, we've been fishing and fishing, nothing, Lord. But if you say so, 
will go out again and do it. So you know from the story that they do go out and they do catch so many fish that the nets begin to break. They have to call a second boat over. They fill up the boats to the point where they're almost sinking. And everyone is amazed with the catch of fish. Now, as I've said to you many times before, uh, in these miracle stories, there are two sides to the coin. Now, we know that the fishermen who were Jesus' disciples, or who would become his disciples, just left. But there's still two boats full of fish here, and they don't last very long, especially without refrigeration. And so I'm sure that somebody or some group of people had a wonderful meal of these fish. Somebody was able, uh, maybe Zebedee, who was left behind, maybe old Zebedee was able to sell all these fish and make a tidy profit. Who knows? But uh, as we all know, a fish stinks after a while, and that was just temporary. This great miracle of hauling in all these fish, the physical part of it was just temporary. It's the spiritual part, it's the deeper meaning part that's why we keep telling this story. So yes, they were all amazed at the sheer number of fish, but what Jesus said to them is, follow me, and from now on, you will be catching people. You can say it's been translated many different ways. I will make you fishers of men, of course, is the famous version from the King James Version, and there's a a cute little uh, children's song that we sing in, uh, in preschool every now and then that you know, has actions where we're sort of casting out a net and pulling them in, and uh, they really love that particular song. But what does this mean for us as in, in our Christian pilgrimage as we sort of sail the, the uh, lake of Gennesaret of our lives? You know, we, we put out into the lake, and we work, and we toil, And sometimes uh, it seems like all of our toil is for naught, especially uh, when it comes to our life of faith, because we can do tasks in life that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You can have the type of a, a job where you have a project or a product that you make, and you can see it through to completion. And, you know, that's very satisfying for us as human beings. The thing with faith and working in faith is that you rarely get to see uh, a product or an end result because it's this lifelong journey. You just have to be happy with knowing that what you're doing as a Christian is helping other people to grow closer to Jesus Christ, helping other people to come into unity with God. Remember that theme of unity from the beginning. And so while we have these uh, wonderful ceremonies of ordination, or read these wonderful passages from Scripture that really are obvious choices for such things, and while we set certain people aside to do very specific things within the life of the church, we all, because we are Jesus' disciples, because we all have been baptized into his death and resurrection, we are all part of his royal priesthood. And so he calls us day after day, week after week, year after year to put out into the deep waters. He gives us faith that he will calm the waters when they are restless. He gives us assurance that what we do will not be in vain, even though we, uh, in our short-sightedness, sometimes can't see. We try and we try and we try again, but we keep on trying. 
because we know that Jesus didn't give up on us. We know that God is still watching us. We know that God is still loving us and trying to call us more and more into covenant with him as the years go on. And so today, let us give thanks for these Uh, these wonderful scriptures that we have about call and think about the call that we all have as Christian brothers and sisters and the responsibility that we have to one another and not just to one another, but to people throughout the world. You know, we uh, heard from the prophet Isaiah and we've been hearing from prophets over the last few weeks. And these prophets are often oftentimes reluctant to do what God wants them to do at first, although they almost always do follow through. And while I would hesitate to call us prophets because I think that word is used a lot too much these days and prophetic voice is used a little bit too much. It gets watered down and I think prophets really are their own part of the heavenly host. However, uh, we have that still small voice in the back of our minds or in our consciences that call us as Christian brothers and sisters, to do that work of God, to speak up when we see something that is wrong, to use our our gifts, our hands, our tools, our our material wealth to try and help make this world a better place, to try and build God's kingdom until he comes. And so like his disciples, let us not be discouraged when we put out our nets and don't seem to be catching anything, but let us go out into deeper water and haul in that great catch of souls and help build God's kingdom here on this earth and now. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.